Good evening, everybody. I am JR, and I am the host of West Virginia and Commonplace. Now, we are going to have a thought-provoking episode. This episode right here will not trigger anybody, but it will enhance people. It will give people a reason and a rhyme to how they carry themselves and how they live life. So so I don't chop his name up because everybody knows I'm good at chopping people's names up. I will introduce David, and David will give you his last name, and then once he tells me his last name, it'll be good for you. Now, look, now look I want to tell you this, audience. Me and him doing a little minor pre-call, which we do before the shows. He told me his last name, and when I see his last name, it's C-H-T-K-O. Oh, no, C-H-O-T-K-A. I'm sorry about that. I wrote it down wrong. And when I see it, for some reason, I want to say, and this is weird, there was a show called Renegade. I want to say Chakotay. I don't know why. Well, because you watched Star Star Trek, uh, the the oh, that's Voyager. what it was. It was Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, I was, when I was growing up, they called me Chakota, and I actually my co-author is a guy named Maxie Dunham, and he's part Choctaw. And okay. So there's always confusion here, but it's quite funny. So I said, my, name, my name is my name is pronounced Chotka. Chotka. <laughs> it's, it's a Ukrainian name, and it actually means uh, church elder. Right. That's what it means. So it's most so, appropriate. Okay, so David, real quick, do do me a favor. The nostalgic question is, who are you? And please tell us who you are and why you're here today. Well, I'm an author. I'm a conference speaker. I'm a writer. I've been a pastor for more than 30 years. I've been an evangelist, and I have been a prayer equipper for my denomination. My denomination is Christian and Missionary Alliance. And uh, I have been, I served nationally with that denomination as the prayer mobilizer for the movement. And now I am founding this, this organization called Spirit Equipped Ministries. And I've used the last several years to write, travel, teach, and so on. I just got back from a conference in Western Canada about two days ago. Oh, wow. Wow. So let's just jump right into it. Spirit Equipped Ministries, can you share the inspiration behind finding this ministry? And how has this ministry evolved to focus on developing spiritual disciplines across different denominations and contexts? And the reason I ask you that is because we talk, I'm originally a Southern Independent Baptist. Now I'm non-denominational because everybody were children of God. So well, bottom line, no, straight up, listen, when I first became a believer, nobody trained me to pray. And I bumped along trying to learn how to do that, you know, and they'd say, you read the Psalms. And I'd read the Psalm and I'd put my name in there. And then it said, well, blessed is the man who smashes your kids against the rock. And I thought, <laughs> that's a terrible way to pray. <laughs> At any rate, over the course of time, I did learn eventually, and I got some marvelous mentors. And my co-writer, Dr. Maxie Dunham, actually wrote a book called The Workbook. I have it here, The Workbook of Living Prayer. And this book taught me how to pray. And it was because it was it assumed that you know nothing. Scripture in this thing was printed out for, for those who were just new to the Bible, didn't know how to find turn the pages. The scripture was in italics halfway out of page. Every day had scripture. Every day had a little bit of teaching. Every day had reflecting and recording. Every day had a challenge. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Now, I never dreamed I would meet the guy who wrote the thing. But anyway, Maxie is now my friend and he's my co-writer. He's the past president of Asbury Seminary in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. And he has been in charge of World Methodist Evangelism, has traveled the planet. And so, so uh, we met by divine appointment. But when I started this ministry, it was actually the idea of my district superintendent. So uh, Baptists have congregational meetings. The Alliance has a district superintendent. He's the guy with the final say. He looked at me and he said, David, you're right. You're traveling, you're teaching, you're helping international workers. Uh, but we don't have resources for our pastors. What, if I found a way to get you paid, would you, would you consent to doing this full time? And, you know, it took a while to figure it out. But in the course of time, there was a series of divine appointments that told me the Lord wanted me to do that. 
And so then I started and then COVID hit. <laughs> I was supposed to travel, you know, supposed to be in front of people. And here's what happened. Instead of traveling, I devoted my time to writing. I got some professional coaching. I learned how to write better than I'd written before. Although I had written before this, I've written five books and three of them are in the last two years. And uh, the style of my approach has become much more user-friendly. It used to be a little way too technical, way too wordy, you know. <laughs> so yeah. in the course, I learned how to use story to tell, to, to give biblical applications. And so uh, so my first, the, the first book that I did, and this was this one here. Hey, are you okay. there? It's me, God. How to listen, test, and know when God speaks. This has a forward by Dr. Jack Canfield. And Jack Canfield's the chicken soup for the soul guy. He oh, wrote wow. He wrote the foreword because he loved the stories because I tell a story every day and I root that in scripture and then I give people an application. So that happened, but so <laughs> that was my last year's work. And this year it's this one, Healing Prayer, God's Idea for Restoring uh, Body, Mind and Spirit. And this is the reason I'm on the podcast today. But this book just got written, has been published by Whitaker House, which is a okay. large publishing company. And um and uh, this one, actually, at the end of the month, I'm going to be producing a series of videos that'll be used in conjunction with this to teach people the nuts and bolts of how to take a step-by-step process to train your people to be sensitive, pastoral, kind, and gentle when they're praying for somebody who's ill, somebody who's depressed mentally or spiritually, physically, whatever. And you want to come alongside them, but you don't want to give them pet answers. You want to give them approaches that are going to be helpful to them. You want to, and I do believe in medicine, miracle, and mystery intertwining okay i do believe that god does all three and that there are seasons when we are left with holy mystery the prayer remains lies fallow or unanswered for some reason sometimes we get a miraculous intervention sometimes there's you know your life is spared for some reason you can't even begin to imagine sometimes you get you see a miraculous healing my wife was miraculously healed of muscular dystrophy instantly in front of my congregation in uh, just outside of edmonton alberta canada and uh, I, we had given up. <laughs> we'd, we'd stopped praying. <laughs> and it happened. It was the most amazing thing. And I have a doctor's note. And, and uh, I mean, if you want to hear, hear the story, I'll tell it to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so, so here's what happened. So um, we had been praying for years for her to heal. She had her mom, her sister, her niece, her all had this thing called fasciocapular humidor muscular dystrophy. In fact, the founder of Lululemon, he's now got it. And he's just put a hundred million bucks to try and find a medical cure for that. And I applaud him. Anyway, it's now in the news because the guy who runs Lululemon has that affliction. But what it boils down to is it doesn't kill you young, but you lose muscle tone from the time you're 16 or 17. Your shoulder blades go out of position. You start to have chronic pain and it's a plateau decline disease. And so it starts with your face and you, you lose your muscle tone in your face, your face sags, then your shoulders get rounded. Your shoulder blades go out of position. You, sometimes your spine curves. And then if you damage a muscle, you never get it back. You get dizzy. And uh, if you're, you're, you're clumsy, you trip and that kind of thing. So, and then your, your muscles hollow out in your abdominal core so that you have this ability to be able to even get out of your chair, that kind of thing. So now when I was going to marry my girl, I knew her mother had it and I knew her sister had it. And I knew she had it. Her mother was in a wheelchair. And the hardest part was this is the finest girl I ever met. (laughs) I'm going to have to push her wheelchair at the end of my life. Anyway, when the day was done, I realized that this, this was the most important moment in my life. I said, we married. Anyway, so then when she, when she had our son, she lost a lot of ground. She began to decline. It was this plateau thing. Anyway, we got into our, and you don't got to know this. We were constantly praying for other people and watching the Lord intervene in remarkable ways. 
even while she was losing ground with this. So we made this decision and it was an important one. We made the decision not to seek the healing, but to seek the healer. And when we made that decision, it took the pressure off always looking for the miracle, but it took the pressure on constantly paying attention to what God would say to us. And in the course of time, my church partnered with two American congregations and we went to Uganda to help Uganda rebuild after being a war zone. That place had been ravaged by Idi Amin and had been ravaged by Joseph Kony. And I was in the North part. And I must tell you, you don't want to look at the way these people were tortured and wounded. And it was horrible stuff. Arms cut off, tongues cut out, eyes gouged out. It's terrible, terrible stuff. I don't want to get into these gory detail. I will simply tell you that if you were in the North part of Uganda, if you could read, you were bre- you, were, you had more instruction than most of the people because there hadn't been school for 20 years. There hadn't been banking for 20 years. There hadn't been anything for 20 years. The place was ravaged. So an American congregation in Atlanta, another one in New York State, partnered with me from Canada, and the three churches started to do a rebuild in that part of Uganda. There was a pastor there who oversaw a bunch of other pastors. He was kind of a networker. He had a thousand pastors that he wanted to, to receive training. And I agreed to go to one particular uh, town called Arua. Another one agreed to go to Gulu and one wound up in Kampala. So I was in Arua in the north. And I must tell you, it was astonishing and amazing to go year after year and to see how little they had and how much they did with the Lord. It was just incredible. So I, I, so I wrote my first book. It was called Power Praying. I don't have a copy of it here. Oh, yeah, I do here. This book was not written because I was trying to write a book. This was written because the Ugandans needed a training manual. And so I was teaching them and I was preparing materials for them. And in the course of time, it turned into this. And a guy came to my church and said, what are you writing? I showed him and he published the book. So that's how that happened. But anyway, regardless, I'm in Uganda and my church is putting a lot of money in this. We're paying for the education of a thousand pastors. We're giving them books and resources and materials. We're paying for their food for three days while they get instruction. And, and so, you know, we're talking about a half a million bucks over three years. Anyway, they said, yeah, it was a lot of money. That was a highly committed missions congregation. So, the, you know, the church and I decided to invite the guy up to my church and he's in the pulpit and he's telling war stories about people praying and about people's lives being spared while somebody else was praying. It was this incredible thing. And there was amazing stories that were going on and in the middle of him telling the story and the church is packed. The sanctuary sat about 400 people. We were into three services. And so we had about a thousand people in that church. <laughs> the Saturday nighters came to Sunday morning at nine because they wanted to hear more, right? And they invited their friends. <laughs> then their friends came to the nine o'clock and they stayed for the 11 o'clock and they invited their friends. So we're talking about a jammed sanctuary with overflow back in the gym and speakers in the hallways and all that kind of thing. People lined up against the wall. And my wife was sitting two from the front. I could see her clearly. I was actually on the steps next to the pulpit because, you know, I had no place to go. And so this Ugandan preacher gets up And he's preaching about these amazing deliverance from death war stories. And everybody's hanging on their seats because it's exciting teaching, you know. And then he stops and he looks at me and he says, David, David, what is M.A.? And I looked at him and I looked at him around and I said, M.A.? Master of Arts? I don't know. <laughs> and then he said, oh, he's got something wrong. Something's wrong. And he put his head in the pulpit. Now, listen, standing room only, the guy takes a break in the middle of his war story to pray. I mean, so everybody's waiting <laughs> for the end of the war story. And as he's praying, he looks up and he gives, he says this, it's a wasting muscle disease. 
it starts in your head and it makes your face sag. It goes down into your neck. It makes your shoulder blades go out of position. Sometimes your spine is crooked. You're dizzy from, you, start, you get dizzy, you lose your balance. It's a plateau decline disease. If you damage a muscle, you lose it. He gave a perfect medical trajectory for FSH muscular dystrophy without any prior knowledge of that affliction and without knowing my wife had it. And then he said this, whoever has this, Jesus has just healed you. Now, my wife had been unable to raise her arms above her shoulders for more than 20 years, and her arms went above her head for the first time in 20 years in front of 650 witnesses who knew us personally. It was the most incredible thing, and we weren't looking for it. You know, we, we had given that up long before. What we had decided to do was to serve the Lord and seek the healer, not the healing, and the Lord granted that. Now, I have to tell you something. It was, <laughs> I realized she was here. So we had company who'd come. And of course, what do you do? You give them an extra bed to sleep in and you cook meals for them and that kind of thing. And they were staying in our home. And the plan was that we would go home and I would climb up the high steps to take down the big pots and pans to cook the lunch. She pushes me out of the way. She climbs up herself, takes down the pots and pans. And a week later, she ran up the stairs to discipline my daughter. <laughs> She'd not been, able, not been able to do that since the time I met her. And so it was a medically verified miraculous intervention. It was just amazing to see. Now, on the other side of the equation, I have a daughter with myotonic dystrophy, and we prayed for her, and she's not been healed. And so my story is that I live between medicine, miracle, and mystery. And I wrote the book because I don't want Christians to think that everybody's going to get healed. But I don't want people to think that nobody's going to get healed. <laughs> the point Understandable. Is, yes. Understandable. I live it. Now, I, I, I live right in the middle of it. I must tell you, when you have to get your wife out of bed in the morning by having her grab onto your shoulders while you pull her up to get to walk her to the shower to get her limber enough to be able to move her muscles. And the next day she jumps out of bed and walks in the shower herself. You weep with prayer and thanksgiving. And so every time I see her moving her arms and legs, it is astonishing, just absolutely astonishing. So I wrote this book, Healing Prayer, for lots of reasons. Uh, one of my co-writer and I both felt the Lord command this to do, but, but the, beyond that, it was because people need to learn what the signals are when God wants to send one of those. You can't produce a miracle and you should not bluff one, but you can cooperate with one. Yes, you can. And when the power of the spirit shows up, you need to recognize that's him. You need to pay attention to the signals and then you need to enter it. So let, let me tell you the first time I learned that. Is, is that appropriate to do? Go ahead. So, okay. So no, I was a student in a seminary and back in the day, I was in a denomination that had liberals and conservatives side by side. I'm no longer in that denomination, but I won't even tell you the name because you don't need to know. But bottom line was I went to the training institution, the place where I was learning. And of course, sometimes the prof would be quite orthodox and sometimes they would not. And when the prof was not, <laughs> I would say, no, 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 the Bible's true. No, no, no. That, that miracle did happen, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, when the day was done, I remember one time in particular, I was in my, one of my first or second or third class, something like this. There was a co-student there with me. And the guy could have been a stand-up comedian. The guy was hilariously funny. He, he would look at you and you'd laugh. He had this way of just being able to use his expressions and his emotions. And he would drop a word in the middle of a sentence and the room would explode with laughter. Just a hilarious guy. He'd been a radio commentary guy before he wound up uh, studying for the ministry. So I was in the class and I said something about the Bible being true. 
And he stood up and he cracked a hilarious joke that made the entire room burst into gales of laughter. But I was the object of the humor for believing the Bible was true. So the first time that happens, you laugh it off, you know, and you say to yourself, okay, there we go. Let's let the next class happens. The same thing occurs. And the next class happens and the same thing occurs. He was in about three of my five classes. And after a while, you say to yourself, well, we're not going to be friends. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway, about two months later, I am walking across a plaza to get to my Greek class. I was doing New Testament Greek. And it was three times a week. And there was this very, very fine do unto others as you would have them do unto you kind of Christian girl. I call her Susie. She was one of these gentle, sweet kind of other centered people that every church should have 500 of. And I want this just a wonderful person. So I'm walking across the plaza and she said, hey, David, how you doing? I said, oh, Susie, how you doing? Fine. How about you? And she said, oh, I'm fine. Uh, you know, our friend, the comedian. I said, yeah. She said, he's in that hospital six blocks down the road. It was a university campus. And there was a university hospital. He's in that hospital down the road. And actually, JR, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> I, I, I had to repent. <laughs> so, so I repented of my bad attitude because he had hurt me. He, he was cruel to me anyway. And then I said, oh, is he getting good care? And she said, yes, he is. And she said this to me, and I just was amazed. But she said, he asked me to ask you something. Oh, what's that? She said, he wants you to come and pray for his healing. I said, What? He's just, he's made fun of me every time I said anything that has to do with the Lord's power about anything, about the atonement, about the resurrection, about the infallibility of scripture. He, in fact, he made fun when I said that Jesus healed that leper. Anyway, we had this conversation about this and I said, I'm not going. And she said, why not? I said, because he's going to make a laughing stock out of me. Once again, he's been cruel. And she said, you're right. Now that's a kind girl. And for her to say that of her friend was a big thing. And she said, I'm going to talk to him. So I said, very good, but I'm not going. So I went to my class. And, you know, the next day I'm in the coffee lounge and the same girl shows up and she said, did you go and see our friend? I said, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I said, well, I went and I told him what you said to me in the plaza. And he apologized and he said he was so sorry. And he really doesn't want you to come pray for him. And I said, Susie, I'm not going. Because <laughs> so I, I thought, he would, number, no, actually, there's a number of reasons. Number one, I'd never met anybody who had received the prayer of faith and become well. Number two, nobody had trained me. I knew it was biblical, but I didn't know if it was for this age, for, for the future age or whatever. I just didn't know. Number three, uh, I was scared the guy was going to make fun of me and turn me into a laughing stock one more time. So those three factors were at play here. And the, oh, by the way, I'd seen the crazies on television slapping people on foreheads and knocking them over, throwing hankies in the air and screaming heel. But I didn't think that was a helpful model. <laughs> so anyway, the third day, I'm walking across the same plaza, going to the same Greek class. And that girl sees me again. And she walks up to me and she said, um, did you go and see our friend in the hospital? I said, no, I'm not going. And, oh, JR, you ever been told off by your mother? Yes. Yes, oh, man. So whenever my mother would tell me off, she would stomp her foot. She'd look me in the eye. The, the, the lock of, of the gaze would be there. She'd raise her voice and she'd put my middle initial in there. And this girl did just that. She knew my middle initial. She stomped her foot. Fire came out of her eyes. And she said, David Archotka, aren't you going around this school telling everybody the Bible is the word of God and it's to be obeyed? I said, yes. And she said, how about this scripture? I was sick and you visited me. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I'm going to have to go and see that. I'm going to have to obey the Bible whether I want to or not. You know. So anyway, here's what happened. As I, I decided, I finished my class and I said to the girl, I said, look, 
you it says sick and visited. It doesn't say sick and prayed. And she said, well, we're sick and prayed or sick and visited. You got to go see him because he's sick. And the Bible says you got to go. So I said, oh, okay. So I wound up in that hospital room. I walked to six blocks to come into the building. And he is in a bad way. He's wired up for sound. You know, there's there's monitors going and there's tubes going into his body. And he's pale and looks scared. He's uh, got a pile of books beside him on the on the table that used to eat. He's trying to keep up with his courses. But you can see that he's just very distressed. Anyway. I go in at JR. I talked about the weather. <laughs> and then after I talked about the weather, I asked about his courses and how he was keeping up. I said, well, I visited you now. I can go. And he looked at me and he said, wait, aren't you, aren't you going to pray? I said, before I do, I have to clear the air. Every single time I've said that Jesus healed in the Bible, you have mocked my faith. Every time I've said that the Lord Jesus can do whatever he wants, you have made fun of me. And when I said Jesus walked on water, you said that didn't exist. Why, why are you asking me to pray for you when it's clear that you don't believe those miracles are true in the Bible? And he said, I am so sorry I did that to you. And this grown man started to to weep buckets. And he said, I have a very serious medical issue. I have phlebitis. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's a clot in your arm. And if the clot breaks free, it'll travel to your lung or your brain. And 95 times out of 100, it'll kill you. He had that. And it's a very serious thing. And back in the day, the medical knowledge was considerably less. And so it was a pretty dicey thing. He said, I have phlebitis. I could die. Won't you please pray? that your Jesus heal me. I mean, so what are you going to do? I mean, I did the guy was asking and it was clear. He did not want to mock me. He really did mean business. So I, I but I, I had not a clue what to do. <laughs> so I, I remembered in the scripture, Jesus put his hand on people. And so I said, Oh, uh, okay. Uh, where's the phlebitis? He said, left arm above the elbow. I said, can I put my hand there? He said, yep. So I went around his bedside, put my hand there, put his other, my other hand, his head. And I said, oh, Lord Jesus. And I don't remember anything else I said. <laughs> so I was so scared. <laughs> I was scared of all, I'd never done it before. I'd received no training. I didn't know if the guy was going to mock me. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was just scared. And I prayed some fumbling, mumbling, bumbling prayer. I don't know what I said. I know I said something about, oh, God, heal the guy. You know, that's, that's something like that. That's all I remember. And in the middle of doing that, there was a change in the room. It was like the room filled with fiery compassion and like we were inhaling love. That's the only, it, it was like my whole being was surrounded by this focus of the love of God on this man. And that the Lord truly, truly did love this man. And then suddenly I had this focus and all I could see was him and my hand on his arm. And I became profoundly aware inside the depths of my being that compassion was rising and the Lord wanted this man well. And suddenly this fiery presence filled me and it flowed down my arm and went into his. And then, then he said this, he said, what is that fiery presence coming from your hand and going into my arm? I said, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is healing you. And JR, I ran out of the room. <laughs> Because oh, I, I, honestly, I, I had never felt that before. I didn't I, I didn't know what that was. I I had prayed in Jesus' name 
and I had done what the Bible said you had to do, but I had no experience. I ran out because I was afraid he was going to make fun of me. I didn't know what that was. And the next day, four o'clock in the afternoon, he was in the coffee lounge of the school. I said, you're here. He said, I am. And <laughs> it, was, it was a 19th century building with those stone columns in the hallway, you know. Okay. And he pulled me in one of those corners. He looked in every direction. And then he said, that prayer, it changed my life. I said, thank you. And I ran away again. <laughs> because I, I, I had no, I had not yet processed that he was well. I, I, I didn't know what that feeling was, that power was. I had no experience with this. Anyway, uh, the next time I go into class and I defend the historicity of the scripture, he rises to tell his joke. He throws the joke in the middle of the room. The room explodes with laughter, but he's mocked unbelief, not faith. And he defended me. I thought, what? And this went on for class after class. Now, the first part of the story that I just told you is in the book. Yes, sir. Uh, the second half is not. I'm going to tell you the end of the story. So I found out what happened to him. So, you know, I went off for a summer field. We were required to go to a summer uh, field to, to be in a church for four months in the summertime. And a pastor would oversee you and tell you when you've been an idiot and when you've done well. <laughs> so, so I did that. Just before I left, he put his, his phone number in my hand. And he said, you call me if you're in trouble, you call. I said, oh, okay. Anyway, I went through the summer, had a fabulous time learning the ropes, preaching my sermons, talking to people about the Lord. It was just a marvelous summer. And I came back to school. And he reaches up to me and said, you didn't call me. I said, I didn't have any trouble. He said, if you have trouble, you call me. So a couple months in, we have a little social gathering for the students. And I'm there and my friends are all there and my classmates are there. And this girl who's sweet, sweet and kind is standing next to this guy's wife and him. And the two girls look at him and say, they give him the elbow. You know, they're starting to elbow him. So you got to tell Chotka what happened. You got to tell Chotka what happened. <laughs> so he said, oh, I don't want to tell Chotka what happened. So eventually they persuaded. And the night that he was, so here's what happened. Right after I left that hospital room, a nurse walked in and he said to the nurse, I can go home now. Jesus is healed. Be my friend from the Bible college. He came and prayed for me. And she said, we don't do that around here. <laughs> we got to have tests. <laughs> so he said, well, then run the tests. She said, well, I've just come to get you. We're about to run the test. Would you come? So he went. They ran the tests. Every vestige of phlebitis was gone from his body. They called mm. his wife. She came to pick him up. He went home. And of course, they're, they're thankful. They're, they're just absolutely, totally amazed and thankful. And so they pray. And they, they weren't used to doing that. They were from a tradition that didn't really do it. So they prayed. They said, thank you, Jesus. It is clear that you've healed this man. Anyway, that night... He had a dream and in the dream he sensed the lord tell him this my servant david defends the scripture and no one defends him when he speaks about the authority of my word defend him and he did right through to the end of that theological education 30 years after it was done he contacted me to remember the time when Jesus of Nazareth healed him of phlebitis and saved his life. That's amazing. That's, yeah. the, that's the first story in the book. And it, that began for me, the journey of discovery, where I started to ask questions of the scripture. Oh, how does this work? What do we need to do? Can we create, you know, how do we partner with God in this? Are we supposed to do this at all? And, you know, and so that is really, it began 
this is the study of my life. And so I met Maxie Dunham, who's the co-author of this, and he had just had his grandson receive a miracle. Now, his grandson is the son of a medical doctor. Okay. And that boy was uh, diagnosed with something called nystigmus, where his eyes go back and forth rapidly and he can't focus. And optic nerve hypoplasia, which means that his optic nerve was half the size and very thin. And so uh, Maxie's daughter, married to the doctor, um, took him to the eye doctor and he said, oh yeah, he'll probably be blind. He might not be, he could probably sit at the front of the class and he'll be okay, but you know, he's, he's, he's got these two medical conditions. So the medical doctor, who's the dad of the boy, gets a scholarship to a different town, Hartford, Connecticut. He's studying medicine. And as they move, they have a file containing all the information of their son. And they go to this town and they present the file to the eye doctor. The eye doctor doesn't look at the file, but examines the boy said, yep, the eyes are fine. There's no problem here. And the daughter said, well, wait a minute. He had do that again. And so he looked, he said, yeah, these eyes are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. And he said, you're looking the inside of it. So she showed him the file with optic nerve hypoplasia and nystigmus. He, the nystigmus had vanished by about 95%. It was still a little bit there, but he could focus beautifully. And the optic nerve hypoplasia was gone after people prayed. So that was, again, it was a son, it was the son of a medical doctor. That boy, Nathan, just got married. <laughs> that's amazing Rick. that's amazing Rick. so with all this in the healing prayer yeah. um can we do a quick little shameless plug so everybody can know where they can meet and greet you across the internet and how to get your book yeah the books anywhere books are sold actually so it's put up by whitaker house so if you want to go to amazon or you want to go to books a million you want to go to uh, what do you call it uh, barnes and noble you can find the book anywhere you can go to walmart and pick one up if you want to just order it it's just called Healing Prayer. It's the first one in many years, so you won't have trouble finding it. Written by myself, David Chotkin, Maxie Dunham. If you want to be in touch with me, I do conferences and events. I write books. I do courses. In fact, right after this, I'm going to be teaching a class on the Lord's Prayer. But regardless of that, um, my website is the, uh, is the name of my, of my uh, ministry, Spirit Equip. And that's because I want to equip people in spiritual disciplines. Spirit, like in Holy Spirit, equipped like mm -hmm. in equipment spiritequip.com you go there you'll have access to my five books you'll have access to the courses i teach and uh you can you can invite me to come and do a conference in your church i do three-day events and then teach people the disciplines that i have been learning okay and i want to thank you very much david for coming on west virginia and commonplace and bestowing all this knowledge on us in these great stories um everybody you can pick up the healing prayer like you said any and everywhere and then the, the amazing thing about podcasting is that we have amazing show notes that will go along with this. And, you know, once everything's transcribed, you will be able to get all of the story and I will put more stuff inside the show notes to go along with everything that you do. And I want to, I want to tell you this real quick as a quick testament to you. And this is something that we do on the show quite a bit. Um, thank you for having the fortitude. Thank you for the passion for compassion and the compassion for passion. And the reason I say that to you is this very simple. The thing is, is that, you knew about your wife's condition. You had a choice and you could have made a selfish choice or you could have made the great choice, which you did with your heart. Making that choice with your heart blessed you with a child, blessed you with a family, blessed you with traditions that only you all have together. And all of that staying tight with your religious background and helping people in the power of prayer especially through your healing prayer book and everything that you've done. You've become an esteemed writer. You help people. Helping people in professing your faith is such a hard thing to do because, like you said, you were tested. You were, you were continuously ridiculed to degrees. Taking that ridicule and not letting it boil inside of you 
and make you, and causing you to sin against the man that you helped out. That is impressive. That is something that's not manufactured. It's not something that can be made. Like I said, it's that compassion and that passion for compassion that has been inside you for God knows how long. So I want you to take that with you, and I want you to do this, David. From this day forward, because you've always done it, smile. Smile hard. No and the reason I want you to and the, and, yeah, and, and the thing is the reason I want you to smile hard is this. You help people and you don't you're a giver. And anything you said, you're not a taker. Because that situation with that young man or that man, most people would have had a revenge, would have had vengeance in their heart. In your heart, you had a little callous in you. But well, yeah, I didn't want to forgive him. <laughs> Right. I did. <laughs> and, and the thing, and the thing about that is, is, is having that fortitude to do that, having that structure inside of you, having the faith that you have. God led you to, God led you to a place that you belong, and you and you help that man get to a place where he belonged. Thirty years later, it came full circle, and that is a true blessing for your wife. And even for your daughter, your daughter will get that true blessing. You know that, and I know that. And for you to be essential in this one area, medicine and ministry, to do something that's so hard in our Christianity, because people don't want to touch science with Christianity. And allowing... They're in parallel streams. Right. They are. are. And and for you doing that, I commend you for that, and I want to thank you for that. And the last part of the show, which what I want you to do for us, is please give a quick shout out to the people who have helped you along the way, have helped you mold into the person you are today. Oh, I've had five mentors. Uh, Dr. John White, who was the founder of the InterVarsity in Latin America, took a, took me under his wing. Dr. Gordon Fee taught me New Testament studies. His wife, Maudine Fee, counseled us before I could get married to my girl. Uh, Maxie Dunham, my great friend and co-writer, I want to thank God for you, Maxie, because were it not for you, I'd not be in this marvelous place. His best friend, Danny Morris, that I did not know was his best friend, whose book I had written, taught me about communal discernment. And a guy named Victor Shepard, who you probably don't know, a Calvin scholar, who is the finest in my country and one of the five best on earth. Uh, you know, and beyond that, my my poor wife put up with all my idiosyncrasies for all these years. <laughs> so the shout out is and actually her last of all, because it's the best of all. She's the one who did the most. But I mean, all those people that I named to you were marvelous people who had local churches who traveled and then became writers. Okay. And that's what happened with me. And I, I became that, too. And I'm sure it's because the Lord ordained that I should meet these amazing people who who had pastoral ministry that turned into international ministry so i'm thankful for that okay and on that note i'm jr and he is david and we're signing off